Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. HousingWire Daily examines the most compelling mortgage, real estate, and fintech articles reported from the HousingWire newsroom. Each afternoon, the HW Digital team provides our listeners with a deeper look into the stories that are helping move markets forward. Hosted and produced by Alcina Lloyd and Victoria Wickham. And now, here's our host. Pulled from the hottest topics coming across our news desk, I'm Victoria Wickham, and this is Housing Wire Daily. Today, you'll be listening to an exclusive interview that features Selma Hepp, CoreLogic's Deputy Chief Economist. In today's interview, Selma discusses findings in the latest S&P CoreLogic Case-Shiller Home Price Index and also explains what an uptick in mortgage delinquencies could mean for the housing market. But before we listen, here's a brief word on HousingWire's newest podcast. They say money talks, so why can't we? HousingWire is thrilled to introduce its newest podcast, Girl Funds, a show where we give you our two cents on money. We love to talk with our girlfriends about everything, except our finances. We're here to bring money back into the conversation, hosted by me, Brenda Nath, along with our editor-in-chief, Sarah Wheeler. Be sure to join us every week starting this Wednesday for our girls' night focused on everything from how to pursue your dream of owning a home to affording your best friend's wedding. Each week, we'll have a special guest join us as we intertwine finance and friendship. Hi, this is Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at HousingWire. Really excited to be here with Selma Hepp, the Deputy Chief Economist at CoreLogic. Uh, Selma served as Chief Economist and Vice President of Business Intelligence at Compass and Pacific Union International. Um, Other prior positions include Chief Economist at Trulia, Senior Economist for the California Association of Realtors, and Economist and Manager of Public Policy and Homeownership at the National Association of Realtors. Selma, we're really happy to have you today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. Absolutely. Well, let's jump in. Um, let's start out with the latest S&P CoreLogic Case-Shiller Home Price Index. You know, we've been watching this uh, over the last couple of months. Are you concerned at all as you see the home price growth over the last several months? That's an excellent question. And I'm going to start by saying, no, I'm not. And there's a reason for that. So obviously, this time around, the price growth that we're seeing is very much different than we saw prior to the Great Recession. So housing fundamentals are much different and the way we are going about a home purchase and home refinance market is much different. So the reason why we're seeing the home price growth accelerate so much has to do with low inventory that we had coming into this current uh, pandemic, or even without the pandemic, we would be probably this situation. So on one hand, we had demographic factors that were going to lead to strong housing 
housing demand being the millennials turning of home buying age. There's 15 million uh, millennials between age of 28 to 30. And with median first-time home buying age being of 33 years old, it was natural that we were going to see this demand. On the other hand, if you look at the last two decades of new home construction and overall number of housing units in the market, we added only 20 million units in the last two decades, and we added 46 million people. In the two decades prior, so 1980s and 1990s, we added 35 million housing units to 45 million people. So there is this huge imbalance in the number of people we've been adding over the, you know, think about now 40 year period versus housing units. So the low inventory amid this strong high demand was, it was a natural occurrence that home prices were going to grow this fast at this point in time. Yeah, that is such a huge imbalance. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Are, are there areas of the country, though, that are really overheated right now, specifically? Um, you know, I don't know if overheated is the right word, too, because, you know, when we were thinking of unsustainable price growth last time in pre-Great Recession, you know, we were having um, a lot of these funky uh, mortgage products, this uh, artificial demand leading to home price growth. This time, we really we have really strong underwriting standards. We have uh, millennials, they have good jobs, good incomes, and they're buying uh, with solid mortgage products. So, you know, the places where the, that we're seeing the most home price growth are the areas where we've had the most job growth uh, prior to the re- recession, this re- current uh, pandemic recession, and where income has been grow, uh, strong, but where we have not had enough inventory. That's really a difference. So just the fundamentals being different, that, that's yeah. what keeps it from being, you know, quite the same. Right, exactly. (laughs) You know, one of the things we've been keeping an eye on, and I know that um, you guys are looking at too, is the uh, serious delinquencies, right? Right, So we've seen serious delinquencies increase in several um, of the last months, including September. What does that tell you um, about the current environment? So the, the path of the serious delinquencies this time around, also it's much different than last time around. So that's one thing, one very important caveat. The other thing is it's very much, it very much resembles what happens during a natural disaster where you have an initial post-disaster spike in uh, inability of people to make monthly mortgage payment. And that fixes itself as local economy rebuilds. So if you look at the data on delinquencies, so the early stage delinquencies they did spike in April, but they are now down uh, significantly from, so I'll just throw in the numbers, 4.2% is in April when they spiked. They're now down to 1.6%. And that's even lower from uh, a year ago when it was 1.8%. So we've had that initial spike. And now these delinquencies are going to have to work themselves through the system, you know, because those people are still having trouble making a payment, don't have a job and so on and so forth. And Unfortunately, with the spike in uh, resurgence in, in new cases, you know, it may be more difficult for them to uh, get back on their feet. But, you know, it, it's not a continual, uh, progressively um, a worse situation. It's We've had it and now, you know, we're working through it. Yeah, great to know. Um, our audience at um, Housing Wire, no- normally we're talking mostly about the mortgage landscape, but obviously what's happening in the rental market is important too and, and has you know long-term effects on mortgage. What trends are you seeing uh, in the rental space? Yeah, so uh, it's really interesting because um, you know rental, so we have, a, 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 among many of the indices we do, one of them is single-family rental index. And um, it 
it's interesting in how it played very similar, if all the same pattern that, for example, Case Schiller or, or uh, Corologic HPI followed, which is that immediately following the pandemic, the uh, acceleration or the annual year-over-year growth in the price index has slowed, slowed significantly. Like we were seeing about 3% year-over-year growth prior to pandemic in um, single-family rent index, and that slowed to about 1% in a couple of months following the onset of the pandemic. And now it has accelerated again. Um, and it's particular, we've seen particular acceleration in higher price ranges of uh, single-family rentals. So it, it, it resembles very much what's happening in single-family purchase market as well. So the folks in a lower lower segment of the market um, that are more likely in the service sectors and have been, their jobs have been impacted by pandemic, are unfortunately having more difficult time. And so the rental index continues to be growing at a slower pace, but the higher prices are actually seeing pretty strong acceleration on a year-over-year basis again. Interesting. That's really interesting. Well, um, you know, natural disasters have just added to the stress on communities and consumers this year. Um, I was just reading about a new fire outbreak in California. Um, From a data standpoint, from your standpoint, how does this year compare to other years as far as natural disasters? Yes, unfortunately, yes, it's been a very difficult year for California. I was actually just looking up the numbers for wildfires and For example, in terms of acres this year, um, year to date, compared to uh, 2019 year to date, we've had almost seven times more acreage being burned uh, versus last year. And, you know, so every year it's been progressively worse. This obviously was a very difficult year, compounded by the fact that we've had the pandemic and people trying to actually stay away from each other, but then having to get out, you know, amidst the fires and and, and then looking for housing. So yes, it's been a difficult situation. And I think that's why we've had in some of the areas, um, rent price growth that we've seen, particularly in, uh, you know, Northern Bay area, uh, wine country, and where where most of the fires have been. Actually, another interesting thing that I saw in the data about the wildfires is that the August fires of this year were among the 12 of the most destructive fires in California. So yes, it's been very difficult and it has contributed to lack of affordability and actually lack of housing in general in that area. Interesting that it's not just been the number of fires, but the severity of the fires. That's an interesting point. Right, right, exactly. So they're getting progressively more destructive, unfortunately. When you look at 2021, what are what are some factors you're looking at for indicators of, of next year's housing market health? Right. So I think in terms of the healthy market, you know, we, you want to have healthy demand, you want to have healthy supply, right? You're, you're looking for some sort of balance. In terms of the healthy demand, you know, I mentioned the sheer size of the millennial population and them coming of that home, first time home buying age, that, that will continue. We still will have a very strong home buying demand. On the supply side, we potentially may see some relief in the market as some of these serious delinquencies work themselves out. So, you know, unlike last time around in pre-great recession, uh, people have 
a home, much more home equity than they had before. So it, instead of going through a foreclosure process, they may just opt to sell their home, downsize, go to a rental or, or you know, some move in with a family member or something like that. So potentially there is inventory coming from that segment of the market, which will relieve some of this pressure on home prices. The other uh, relief potentially could be coming from if we have the virus vaccination widespread through uh, through the United States, some of the people that have been holding off to sell their home may then be more comfortable and put their home on the market and you know continue with their plans that they initially had prior to um, this pandemic and how it has affected them uh, and changed their plans to sell their home. Because definitely, you know, if you look at the uh, availability of homes for sale. Uh, this year versus last year, we're still about 20% below last year. And, and you know, it, and we were already at the lowest last year. Actually, if you look at the data, as far as it goes back, which is to 1983, we're at the lowest level we've ever been in terms of available uh, number of homes for sale on the market. So we really need a relief on that, on the supply side of this equation. Um, and we do think we may see more of that I mean, we're still far off, but it may bring some balance to the housing market. Interesting that you say that. We, uh, we've we been uh, covering Prop 19, which passed in California. Mm-hmm. And really, um, that was supported by the um, California Association of Realtors because it allows older people over 55 to carry their um, good tax rate to the next three properties that they buy so that they're not losing out on on some good property. And they think that's going to lead to a bunch of churn, right? Uh, that they will then be motivated to put those houses up for sale because they're not losing their, their uh, favorable tax rate. So it's just interesting looking at all of the different things that local and state, uh, you know, areas are trying to do just to get more inventory. Right, right. Absolutely. I mean, that's one of the cases, you know, California is specific in that way in that, uh, you know, there's been so much home price growth and the tenure of home ownership or tenure in, in a home has extended so much longer than it used to be. And it's for those reasons. One is that the homes are so much more expensive. So thinking about taxes that you have to pay on a home if you move. And then the other thing is also the capital gains and having to pay taxes on those capital gains. And so if you think about a, you know, a baby boomer now that's been in a home for 10 years, it's not, it's not unheard of that they, they have over a million dollars in equity now in their homes. Now that's a whole lot of capital gain taxes. So they may just stick around in their home for, for that reason. So allowing them some flexibility, I think would definitely help velocity of the market in California because California has not been able to have a lot of churn for those reasons. Absolutely. Well, let's end this way. When you look at 2021, um, you know, 2020 has been such a crazy year. Um, Are you optimistic about the economic forces that you see happening in 2021? Or or what is your what is your outlook for 2021? Yeah, I'm, I'm optimistic. I'm generally an optimistic person. <laughs> so I, I prefer to think of it this way. Otherwise, you know, you can just kind of get in a in a rabbit hole. But, um, you know, I, I think so just looking at the job numbers, for example, we've had, you know, quite a good job growth since the onset of the pandemic, since we lost those 22 million jobs. We had a quite a good job growth. You know, we've had a very 
solid response from the federal government in terms of a stimulus. Now there's talks of more again, uh, uh, which you know we, we were thinking maybe won't be happening, but now it may be happening. That's very positive too, because it's definitely worth mentioning the, the issue of the K economy recovery, K, you know, the economic recovery. So, um, you know, that we do need to make sure that those people that have been so severely affected do have some help. They can get back on their feet and they can find jobs again, whether it's in a different industry or completely different type of job, you know, that they, they, they can, you know, live their lives again. And, you know, so I, I think the government is thinking in those terms. I mean, Federal Reserve, Jerome, is, you know, Jerome Powell's, we're pushing that direction as well, it sounds like. And I think this, those are all good things. You know, we've had, um, yeah, I think we have a lot of good things going on for our economy. I, you know, one, again, is this, millennial population being so many of them and there's so much purchasing power there and spending power um the other thing is you know if when once when we get you know everybody vaccinated <laughs> let's put it that way um you know we've all been dying to get out to do things to go travel i mean think about it like i was just even talking to a friend yesterday about all the places i want to go that i haven't been this year that I definitely have to go next year plus additional places i want to now go so all the things we we were not able to do now we're going to be rushing out to do you know so there's going to be a lot of spending so overall yeah i think i'm optimistic but again we have to help that bottom uh, people in the bottom uh, income spectrum to to get back on their feet because they really took the grunt of this crisis. Uh, that's so true. I I was talking with someone the same and just that pent up demand. It's like I've never had a year. None of us have had a year like this, but especially like not to travel to see my kids, whatever it is. I just I agree with you. There's going to be so much pent up demand for, you know, the spending that people have been doing on their houses, maybe it'll be on travel on on hospitality. So it'll be, it'll be interesting. Well, thank you so much, Samuel. We so appreciate you coming by and, um, and really letting us giving us some insight into what you see happening. Really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure talking to you. And uh, I hope we can connect soon again. Absolutely. Thank you. Now more than ever, the housing industry is looking to its leaders for answers. That's why each week, the Housing News Podcast invites a new mortgage, fintech, or real estate executive to the show to provide its listeners with more perspective on the announcements and news stories crossing HousingWire's news desk. Hosted by Sarah Wheeler and produced by Alcina Lloyd, the Housing News Podcast is now available on iTunes, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, and more. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode and we'll catch everyone back here again tomorrow.